Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't black don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries, <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education, and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man a hundred years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man 
and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, uh, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, he'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen.
Our dear sister Julianne Malvo mentioned A. Philip Randolph. Yes. Man, that was long time ago. And the cry was jobs and justice. And the march on Washington in 1963, the cry was jobs and justice. In the 20-year anniversary of the march on Washington, the cry was jobs and justice. We are now in 2010. And what is the cry? Jobs and justice. Well, wait a minute. How long are you going to sit around begging white people to do for us what we have the power to do for ourselves? the people are saying we need jobs uh, brothers sisters since the 1940s a philip randolph was going to organize a march on washington and you know what a philip randolph was going to march on washington for jobs that's in the 40s, most of you, of course. You weren't even a thought then. Then Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement in 1963 had the great march on Washington. And what was it that they were asking for? Jobs and justice. That's 63. 20 years later, they had the 20th anniversary of the March on Washington, and I happened to be present. And guess what they were asking for? Jobs and justice. A few weeks ago on the mall, the Reverend Al Sharpton led a march to encourage the people to get behind President Obama and his jobs bill. Now we're in 2011, and what is your crime? Jobs and justice. Shouldn't it dawn on you that something is wrong with that picture? that you've been since out of slavery. We all had a job, you know. Full employment. But after they let us out of slavery, did you know that black folk set up over 60 black towns in America? Did you know that black people started building, I'm talking about, we were the artisans, we were the craftsmen. White folk didn't use hammers, 
White folk didn't use saws. White folk didn't have to plan how to build this and that because they had us. We built their mansions. We built the White House. We built the Congress. We built the State House. How could you be a builder like that for somebody else and now all of a sudden you don't know how to build nothing for yourself? Well, what kind of education have you been receiving?
Stephon Clark versus Joseph E. Clark solution. The Stephon Clark versus the Joseph E. Clark solution live stream number 619-768-2945. We'll be back on what, and it's just one strategy, one solution. But we'll be back after this. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is
reinstated, re-educated, evaluated, thoughts of the past have faded, the only thing left is the memories of our belated, and I hate it when someone dies to get all hurt up for a silly gold chain box, chump, word up, it doesn't make you a big man, and to one and go and dish your brother man, and you don't know that's part of the plan, why, cause rap music is in full demand, understand? Shoot him this many times. 
And they came, they, checked us, they came in and kept telling me, don't go outside or go in the back. I said, well, what happened? I hope y'all didn't kill one of my grandkids because they come to the back door, I mean, to the window, and my husband just pulled the garage up. And he doesn't, he's at home. He was at home. He was there that day. We was looking at his sister dead through the praise that she made up. He was crying. And I said, I said, how old are you going to be? And he said, Grandma, I'll be 24 in August. My grandson was 23 years old. And then now my great-grandbabies don't know their daddy. Because they didn't even stop. Why did you shoot him in the arm? Shoot him in the leg? Send a dog? Send a taser? Why? Why? Y'all didn't have to do that. Y'all didn't have to. So I want to sell a phone. I just want justice for my grandson, for my daughter, my poor baby. There's so much pain. She's in pain. And the brother, he got my two brothers. Justice. Justice. I want justice for my baby. I want justice for Stephon Clark. Please give us justice. We just want to give thanks for all the support. The local support, the international support. We want to just give thanks to all those that are willing to still stand and recognize that there is crime still in America from our own protectors. Mm -hmm. And I want to also give thanks to Mr. DeMarcus Cousins for reaching out and helping out with the funeral services Amen. and those needs and everyone else that has helped and continue to help. We thank you for your prayers and your strength. And it's another fight yet long again. We're not going to forget. We hope y'all don't either. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. You don't take any cues? No, I'm going to get out. Okay. God bless you, Miss Thompson. We were just. That's hard reaching to listen to. Uh, that was the grandmother. Uh, of uh, Stephon Clark, uh, who was gunned down in, um, well, his grandparents' backyard. That was his grandmother. And um, today's podcast, once again, is titled to Stephon Clark, Joseph E. Clark Solution. Here we go. Uh, last year, number 
lynchings during the Jim Crow era. Nothing new. Absolutely nothing new. But I'm gonna I'm gonna play a solution. It's it's not the only solution, but it's a solution that I think some people should consider. The town of Eatonville, Florida, serves as a monument to the end of slavery and the preservation of African-American history. It's a place like no other. Six miles outside of Orlando, Florida, lies a hidden jewel known as Eatonville, a place filled with a history of courage, progress, and the spirit of a people who were determined to make a better life for themselves, while inspiring hope for the future. Eatonville was founded by Joe Clark, who bought land from Josiah Eaton, who was willing to sell land to Joe Clark, a black man who had money to buy it. 22 acres of land was sold and donated to Joe Clark and others who took that land and decided to incorporate and build their own community. Historian N. Theory says finding a safe place to live after the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 wasn't easy. Escaping the plague of racism was key as the creation of race colonies grew. A significant number of thinking black people said, this is not going to work and we can't live in security than with whites, then we need to move on out and found communities where we can live. On August 15, 1887, Eatonville became a reality, proudly called the town that freedom built. What makes it so special is we're self-governed. We talk about being the oldest black municipality. The town was built on the principles of education, family, community, and religion core values that stand to this day. St. Lawrence uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church is a cornerstone uh, in the community of Eatonville. This is the oldest church in the United States of America from a black perspective. The church was founded in 1881, that's six years before the town of Eatonville, a location where founders met to discuss the future of their new town. There's no ville like Eatonville, and that's true because we, we are unique in our own way. We feel that, that we set a precedent for other uh, black communities. You can see here that, for example, the town of Eatonville, Florida serves as a monument to the end of slavery and the preservation of African American history. It's a place like no other. Six miles outside of Orlando, Florida, lies a hidden jewel known as Eatonville, a place filled with a history of courage, progress, and the spirit of a people who were determined to make a better life for themselves, while inspiring hope for the future. Eatonville was founded by Joe Clark, who bought land from Josiah Eaton, who was willing to sell land to Joe Clark, a black man who had money to buy it. 22 acres of land was sold and donated to Joe Clark and others who took that land and decided to incorporate and build their own community. Historian N. Theory says finding a safe place to live after the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 wasn't easy. Escaping the plague of racism was key as the creation of race colonies grew. A significant number of thinking black people said, this is not going to work and we can't live in security than with whites, then we need to move on out and found communities where we can live. On August 15, 1887, Eatonville became a reality, proudly called the town that freedom built. What makes it so special is we're self-governed. We talk about being the oldest black municipality. The town was built on the principles of education, family, community, and religion core values that stand to this day. St. Lawrence uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church is a cornerstone 
uh, in the community of Eatonville. This is the oldest church in the United States of America from a black perspective. The church was founded in 1881, that's six years before the town of Eatonville, a location where founders met to discuss the future of their new town. There's no ville like Eatonville, and that's true because we, we are unique in our own way. We feel that that we set a precedent for other uh, black communities. You can see here that, for example, even the water pump in the back of it. The theory believes it's important to preserve the past. She works with others to restore the town's most legendary buildings, like the Thomas House. Its last incarnation was as a private home. It was at one time the church. It was at one time a library. It was at one time a gambling hall. This building has had at least four lives. Eatonville native and author Zora Neale Hurston, best known for her book, Their Eyes Were Watching God, brought attention to the town, along with a yearly arts festival held in her honor. Zora Neale Hurston was a maverick who recognized the beauty of her people. Whether it's the paintings that line St. Lawrence Church or the murals and paved roads along Kennedy Boulevard, it's all proof that Eatonville has come a long way, along with a legacy of hope a legacy that will never be forgotten. Eatonville, we're going to keep on keeping on. It's a part of the American saga. It incorporates so much of what is quintessentially American. The town of Eatonville is planning to celebrate their 125th anniversary in 2012. Reporting in Eatonville, Florida, I'm Shondrea Thomas. Okay, I've started typically, if it's not on January 1st, it's in January at some time. Last two, three years, I've started my either year off or the beginning of the year um, in Eatonville, Florida. This, that's my good luck piece. It, and you know what? Many, many people, including many African Americans, have never heard of Eatonville. Once again, this podcast is titled The Stephon Clark Versus the Joseph E. Clark solution. What happened to Stephon Clark, um, Trayvon Martin, which is interesting, but Trayvon Martin, I, I, he either died in Orange County or Seminole County, because they're right next to each other. I have to look that up. But uh, Trayvon Martin, Stephon Clark, Mike Brown, Eric Gar just name the people. Now let let me now you we've all heard of those names in the, over the last few years, um, and we can go back in history. Emmett Till and there's scores of others. Now, let me name some towns: Eatonville, Florida; Bowie, Oklahoma; Summit, Oklahoma; uh, North um, Brentwood, Maryland. Um, uh, not Super Maryland, um, Fairmount Heights, Maryland, uh, Glen Arden, Maryland, Harbor Beach, Maryland, Brooklyn, Illinois, uh, Mount Bayou, Mississippi, um, Sugarland, Maryland. A lot of these towns that I've just named in there, probably 150 to 200 more. A lot of people have not heard of those town names that I just named. I think, like I say, it's not the only 
solution. But I think it is a very viable solution to those who choose it to pick the Joseph E. Clark. Excuse me, Joseph E. Clark solution, as I just played on audio. The man bought 22 acres, and then he got together with some other black folk. And I think they got up to like 100 acres. They started their own town. From my personal research, I'm talking about in-person research, actually physically going to the airport, catching a plane, going to another city, um, or driving to a particular town. These black townships have never experienced any racial violence at all. No police shootings, none of that, no violence. Mind you, I said black townships. Black Wall Street, or the one that they always talk about out of Oklahoma, that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Black Wall Street, which was the Greenwood neighborhood. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, was a just that a neighborhood. Imagine a white sheet of paper with a black dot on it. That that was what the Greenwood neighborhood was. All right. What people don't talk about at the same time that went down with Black Wall Street, which was a Greenwood neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were 50 other black municipalities in the state of Oklahoma. That's why I I talk about it on my podcast because nobody else does, basically. Princeville, North Carolina. We got people in North Carolina I never heard of. Never black township. So one of the, like I said, this thing of black folk, black men getting it, it was more violence on a percentage basis happening, um, you know, in the 18, late, you know, 1880 something, 1890 something. It was, it was more then than it is now. And like I said, one of the strategies that some blacks, not 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 you know, not everybody on the critical mass basis, but there was quite a few of them. And a lot of those towns still exist today. Was and if you do that, because like with the Claude Anderson piece, that model is basically well, you can apply it to a small town, um, but if you if you like for instance, if you if you live in Boston, Massachusetts, and want to stay there. If you live in Chicago, Illinois, you want to stay there. If you live in San Francisco, I mean California, you want to stay there. And if you want, if you want to see change, you're going to have to apply those five steps. And you can't do it alone. You're going to have to get a group of people over over a sustained amount of time 
raising a, sustain, a sustainable amount of membership money to make that work, or political action money to make that work. That that five step that uh, Claude Anderson recommends. However, this strategy, the Joseph uh, E. Clark strategy, the Black Township strategy, requires only Joseph E. Clark, one person, twenty two acres. That's the start of Eatonville. You can go online and uh, go to Amazon uh, and order a book, um, which I bought that book for some years ago. I forgot the name of it. But put Eatonville, Florida, Joseph E. Clark uh, book, and then go to Amazon and purchase that book. It's a little uh, sort of semi-thin paperback. You can probably read it in one or two quick settings. Uh Blueprint, blueprint, buying an eight because an acre is a football field. So if it's just, you don't need to have, you know, Joseph Clark, eventually, or 22, he did by himself, acres. And then with the other people, I think it was solo 27, they bought up to 100 acres. You can do this by yourself. Go out, you by yourself. And by one acre is a football field. That's plenty enough room to homestead. But that's those are the two best strategies I can think of. Do it by yourself. You know, buy one, two, three, four, five acres. You know, if you buy like four or five acres, let's say you got a house, your kids got a house, so you're in close proximity, you still got your property. And then that's generational wealth. Because five, you know, put a third one on there for your grandkids if you got That's a strategy that if if you don't like the police climate in whatever metro area that you're in, like in, in, what's his name, Uh, Joseph Clark, I mean, not Joseph Clark, Stephon Clark, they, Sam, I mean, with Sam, uh, Sacramento. Then head up to Northern California, uh, where it's probably the least expensive in the state, and buy you a few acres. That's the best strategy that I can think. All right. So, um, on that note, Uh, we're going to be getting more into this next week. Everyone have a good rest of the day.